0: In the church today, we hear again and again how the world seems to be anti-God, how culture continually drifts away from the things of God, how people seem to be done with the religion of the past, and how everybody, in the words of the book of Judges, just wants to do what's right in their own eyes. When I think about this picture, it doesn't feel accurate to the world that I see around us. I don't see a world that's anti-God, I see a world that's just kind of over God. People ask, what does that even mean for me? Why does that matter? Why should I care? It's not that people are outright hostile, saying everything you believe about God is silly or dumb or anything like that. To be fair, some of that does exist, but generally speaking, It seems like the pervasive problem we face today isn't one of hostility, it's one of apathy. We see it in the world around us, and if we're really honest, we see it in the church as well. And if we're really, really honest, sometimes we see it in our own hearts. We see that the problem isn't that we've given up on God as much as just at times it's hard to care with the passion that the pastor tells me I should care with. It's hard to be 100% behind the things of God when there are so many other things that I need to attend to. Rather than diving into other big theological issues or competing worldviews, we feel that what we need to talk about is the real problem we're facing in our churches, in our youth groups, and sometimes even within our own hearts, the problem of apathy. You're listening to The Good Lion Podcast. So here we are
1: on the Good Line podcast, and we are talking about apathy. And that is an issue that, yeah, it's a problem. It's something that I feel like for most of us, if we're honest, we all have dealt with it. I mean, Brian, why is
0: this important? Why are we doing a series on this? I remember when I was doing youth ministry, my father-in-law who has served in youth ministry in a bunch of different capacities and has been an elder in a couple different churches and has a lot of ministry experience under his belt. One of the things I remember him bringing up about youth ministry, as I was talking about minor silly problems, I was bringing up like, how come they don't like the game? Like, how come <laughs> they don't seem to talk as much in small groups? So, like, as I'd bring up all those things, one of the things that he always pointed to was it's much easier to convince people that Jesus can save them Mm. when they are convinced they need saving. Mm. Mm. And so he looked at a lot of youth group students, and I think this is not just true of youth group. I'm not trying to pick on kids. I think that this is generally true of the American church, and it may even be true broader than that. I'm just trying to limit myself to speak on my own experiences. Yeah. The problem isn't necessarily... I don't like God, or I don't want to pay attention to him, or I don't like this command. The problem more seems to be, why should I even care about the things of God? Yeah. What do they do for my life? What, yeah. what is the whole meaning behind me doing any of this? And if you, if you convince people to care about a problem then it becomes very easy to walk them towards the solution. But it's very difficult to try to fix a problem people don't even recognize as a problem.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, it is a problem I think we need to recognize. And it's one for me that I've been grappling with my entire life. I went to a private Christian school. And the interesting thing about this school was it seemed like the more you cared about God, the less you rose in the social standing of the school. And it was always the people at the Christian school who seemed to be less interested in God that were more popular. And to me, it created this image in my mind that to be passionate for Jesus was kind of cheesy, kind of unrealistic to how the real world works and just not practical, you know? And I feel like a lot of people deal with that as a youth pastor. I saw so many kids, I feel like, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I feel like there's kind of, there's two situations, kind of two buckets you can put people in when it comes to apathy. And and first let me define apathy. What, I, what do I mean by that in this context? I mean, when you're a Christian and you know you're saved, but there's no, there's no passion. There's no excitement. You don't want to read the Bible. You don't want to pray. You don't really want to go to church, but you do to make people around you happy, parents, friends, your pastor, whoever, you go out of a sense of duty and there's no sense of connection to the the broader church beyond your local church, like the, the global family of God. And there's no real connection to the mission of God. Christianity is contained in this box where it's like, this is my ticket to heaven. This is my salvation. But beyond that, it is not really that practical for the rest of my life. And if I have a crisis or a problem I'm going through, then I'll revisit it and I'll open that box of Christianity back up and I'll get prayer or I'll ask God to guide me or bless me. And I think there's kind of two categories of people that fall into this. On the one hand, there's people that I would say are spiritually asleep and they don't care. And that's a problem. And we need to call people to wake up. And then there's other people where their apathy comes from a place of hopelessness. It comes from a place of feeling like I will never be able to measure up. I will never be able to be as Christian as this person or that person. I will never have the time to develop myself as theologically as I want to. And so I just, why even try? And that's where the apathy comes from. It comes from a place of despair. And I wanna speak to both groups of people. And I also wanna recognize that like, this happens to everybody. Like, have you had seasons in your life where you've been an apathetic Christian, even as an adult, even, you know, in your time in youth ministry? Like, have you you experienced that?
0: Yeah, I definitely have. I've definitely had seasons where I have grown content with, it's okay to stay here. Here isn't all that bad. Mm. Here makes me a pretty good person. Here makes me a pretty good pastor. I don't need to necessarily push onward. And, And I think that that is moderately helpful in clarifying that definition for what we mean when we're talking about apathy the that hopeless person of well I can't get any further so why bother trying any harder why bother yeah. trying to press on towards more I think that that's a good way to think about it of what even is there if I keep trying to press on and so I, mm. I've I've seen that my personal walk with Jesus. I've seen that my growth as a pastor, my growth as a, a person, all that. It's had seasons of I can clearly, tangibly sense God is doing things and I'm growing and I'm, I'm working towards it and I'm in lockstep with him, followed by, all right, we just made some gains. Like This is good. So now we right. can now it's time to chill. Like, you know, right. today and is it, the spiritual rest day, so to speak. <laughs> and I don't need to yeah. worry about pressing onward. And, and I'm not saying that like most people, I don't
1: feel like are apathetic in every category where it's like, mm-hmm. I I just don't care about God at all. But I feel like there, there are so many areas in my life where maybe I was strong in one thing, but then I was apathetic towards other things. I think we all go through seasons And I just want to say, we think this is important. Like, why are you taking time to do a mini series on this on the good line podcast? This isn't some super, you know, theologically rich concept. I would say this is very important to theology because Christianity was never meant to be an apathetic religion or an apathetic relationship. (laughs) It was meant to be something passionate. It was meant to be something full of life. That both gives life and helps you to pour your life out. It's 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 a place where you find meaning. It's a place where you find purpose. It's a place where you find fulfillment. Is in it's in this thing we call Christianity. It's in following Christ. And the reason that I wanted to do this series was not just because I'm preaching on it this month um, at a local church to a young adults group. It's because I think this is an issue that so many struggle with. And I just want to say right off the bat for our listeners, if you've been listening to the show a long time, you know, our very first mini series was on righteousness. And we did this whole thing where we talked about your relationship with God is not based on how much you read the Bible or how many times you go to church or, and, you know, any of that stuff. And we're not trying to undo that. We're not trying to say, actually, legalism is the answer. Actually, just working really hard until you prove yourself to be loved by God is the answer. We're talking about balance here. Like we're trying to be older brothers in the faith who are like, yes, we came to you and explained that God doesn't expect you to work your tail off in order to earn his approval. But then on the flip side, we want to tell you, God doesn't want you just to sit back and miss out on what he has for
0: your life. I think that's really important to say, and I think that for many people, that might be a shift. Mm. I think that in a lot of cases, we're used to the idea of Christianity is about altering my final destination. Mm. Christianity is about securing a different kind of life later on. The work of Jesus changes my eternity. And all of that remains true. But if we exclusively focus on those things, then we can reach the point of, well, if forever is settled, then what am I doing until forever? Mm. You know, what am I doing leading up to that? As if we'll get to heaven and God will simply show us our mansion and show us the cool (laughs) heaven stuff and be like, here's where the heaven pool is. And here's (laughs) where, you know, the heaven taco stand is. And here's where, you know, sounds awesome. It's going to be great. And like, (laughs) we think that heaven is just god giving us this tour of here's all the cool stuff you get mm. and then you know call me if you want to hang <laughs> and it as if it's just sort of like here's all these things and you know we'll i'll circle back i'll I'll see if you're enjoying everything and all that mm. instead of understanding what will make eternity with god special is just those last two words it will be with god yes And that is possible through the work of Jesus for the future, Hmm. and it is also possible through the work of Jesus right now. Yes. Absolutely.
1: I remember hearing a story about a guy named Gary Docky who was a police officer, and he gets shot in the head while on duty, and he ends up in a coma. And so he sleeps in that coma for seven years. And during that time, he can't hear, he can't see, he can't speak, and he can't understand when people are speaking to him. He's dead to the world. I think that it is important for us to recognize the potential for us to slip into a spiritual coma many people are physically alive, but they're spiritually, not spiritually dead. You can be alive in Christ, right? You can be regenerated and renewed and have a, a, a salvation experience with Christ, but we can slip into this sleepiness spiritually where we are just like the guy in the coma. We're unaware of the divine realities of God's love. We're out of communication with God. We can't hear him. We can't speak him. We're dead to
0: the supernatural world. I think that that's a great illustration of where a lot of people find themselves. And I think that we need to recognize that we are in a world designed to distract us from Mm. the fact that that may be our state. Mm. There's a famous segment on one of the versions of the Conan O'Brien show. I forget which one it was, (laughs) where he had the comedian Louis C.K. on. And they talked about the idea, everything's amazing and nobody's happy. And they talked through kind of like, we have all of this stuff. And he used this phrasing when he tried to talk about when you go to devices to distract you or when you look Mm. to something to kind of fill that void. He looked over at Conan and he's like, you know, that empty, forever empty, that deep down in you, like empty, lonely feeling. Mm. And everyone just kind of was like, yeah, like we know. Mm. And it's like. That sort of eternal need that we know that we have, that when everything kind of fades away, it rises back up to the surface. That is a difficult thing to stare down. Mm. That is a difficult thing to grapple with. And, you know, in that illustration of the the police officer, something put him into that coma. Mm. And I think the same thing kind of happens spiritually, where we have lots of things around us that for lack of a better term, nurse that spiritual coma for us. Keep mm. us lulled mm. nicely to sleep. You know, I, I think about we recently did an episode where we talked about fatherhood. And a lot of fatherhood, particularly for an infant, is trying to get them to sleep. And so there are all of these <laughs> techniques yes. you try. You get the noise machine, you get oh, the yeah. blackout curtains. You How many noise try machines f- do you guys have? Only one, but it's a really cool one. Dude, we're rocking three. Wow! Surround because sound of different noise rooms machine. or like just for fun? No, it's it's all in one room. We just it's a little wow. overkill. It's a little overkill. You just really want him to drown in noise. Yeah, basically, I love it. But you do all of these different things. You get the noise machine, the curtains. You make sure the crib is just right. You try to figure out what exactly is the right position that your your son or daughter wants to be held in, so that you can distract them from whatever is upsetting them, distract them from the fact that they're trying to go to sleep so that you can lull them down. I think sometimes we don't properly evaluate that a lot of the things that we may do are just techniques to lull us into that spiritual coma, to move us away from the fact of I am a broken person and without true reliance on Jesus, I have no answer for Mm -hmm. this brokenness. Like that is Mm -hmm. a tough thing to face. So sometimes the coma is just a little more comfortable.
1: That totally makes sense. Because I mean, consider what does Jesus call us to? He says, pick up your cross and walk with me. And yet when you are going through a hard time, when you're going through a struggle, what sounds better, picking up your cross and walking, (laughs) going on a hike or getting in bed, getting under the covers getting a bowl of ice cream and putting on Netflix. I know for for me, I I love a good pint of Ben & Jerry's with a blanket and some Netflix. Like that's that sounds like a great night. And 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 so often the call to discipleship is a call to walk. And I think that is the issue that we run into in Christianity quite often is we get saved and we take the first step, but then we don't walk. We just sit in the doorway of salvation and rest without moving forward. And yeah, Jesus says like, come to me and rest, but that rest is in him. And so that rest doesn't come from you being complacent and apathetic. The rest comes from you're on a journey with Jesus and you walk with him. And then he is the one who then says, okay, let's stop here and let's rest together. And there's a difference between just resting on your own and being apathetic and tuning out to to Christ and what he has and, and then resting on the way
0: it's sort of like if you got into an amusement park and you just settled for the first bench that you found <laughs> like there if you put in a little bit of effort that's such if a good you analogy try to keep walking there are tons of things for you to enjoy there's roller coasters and there's food courts and there's all this different stuff like there's tons waiting for you if you just keep walking a little bit further But yeah, some people, it's so easy to get to the point of like, well, I'm in the park. So, all right, I I, I guess I'm good. I'm thinking of a specific bench at the entrance of Disneyland. Imagine paying that fee just to sit on that bench. It's crazy. And just to feel like, well, you know, I was in Disneyland. It's like, yeah, you were in Disneyland. You are correct. And (laughs) if the rest of the world blew up except Disneyland, like you would be saved from the rest of the world explosion that happened. Yeah. But no one sits there and says, like, oh, you went to Disneyland? How was the bench? Mm. Like, that's not (laughs) what the experience is about. And the same is true with Christianity. The experience Mm. is not just about did you cross the threshold into being saved Mm. as much as it's about are you now ready to enjoy life with Jesus and walk with him in his mission for the world?
1: So we talked about the problem of apathy. Let's talk about the need to wake up and let's go to scripture. Ephesians five verses eight through 16 says this, for you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases God have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And then here's the key part. Verse 14, this is why it is said, awake sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise
0: making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. When I hear that passage, I can hear it in the ringing reverb of a Billy Graham crusade. Like, this (laughs) has to be a passage. It feels like something in Acts where Paul is speaking to a huge crowd of non-believers. That that has to be the audience here, right? Wake up, sinners! that whole thing yeah Yeah, you can hear it you could feel it that way well here's the thing he's not
1: talking to a group of non-believers he's talking to the ephesians according to the book of acts paul spent the better of two years in ephesus and he was like emotionally attached to the believers there like these were his people he loved them and yet to this group of christians paul writes awake sleepers rise from
0: the dead and christ will give you light Yeah, it's an interesting theme in the New Testament where so many of Paul's letters are to people who have experienced salvation about how they are not living as if they've experienced it. Mm. You know, it seems like it would make more sense for Paul's writings to be to non-believers. You know, if he could get a whole bunch of people just to read his letters that weren't Christians, that that seems like what would make sense to us. And yet so much of what he's doing is you're so close, like you're (laughs) you believe and Jesus is with you and he wants to guide you into more than what you're living and experiencing right now.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so true. It's so true. He looks at us with the
1: loving heart of a father and he says, I want you to wake up. I don't want you to sleep. I don't want you to walk in darkness. You're saved. You're a person of the light. You're not like everybody else in the world who's asleep. You're called to be walking among the waking when the rest of the world is sleepwalking. I think one of the dangers of apathy is for many the end road, the end result of apathy can very often lead to the loss of faith. It can lead to doubt and deconstruction to the point where, like we've said many times in the episode, you you burn your house of faith down because you found some termites in the walls. And I think it's very interesting. Brian Zond wrote in his great book, I've been reading it lately and it's been very helpful. It's a book called When Everything's on Fire, Faith Forged from the Ashes. I'm going to read an excerpt from it. He says, and he's talking about the loss of faith. He's talking about how so many people in the world right now have actually lost their faith. He says this, the loss has been sudden and precipitous, which means falling off quickly. He says the Western world entered the 20th century still tethered to a much older world, a world where people felt the imminence of God. But somewhere along the way through that tumultuous century, the cord was severed and we entered a new world, a world where God seems to have gone missing. The ethos of our age might be described as the felt absence of God. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that line there?
0: Yeah, that lines up so much with what I feel I hear people talk about. You know, the mm. questions that people have about God is less like think about what the main question people ask about God it is mainly about this topic of why don't we feel him in difficulty? Like the, the big mm. question I feel that people ask today is some version of why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Or mm. why does God not step in when things get difficult? It's it's not about why is God causing this bad thing? Or why is God at X, Y, like, why didn't, why did he do these different things it's more about why wasn't he there? Yeah. It's more yeah. about why didn't we feel him? That that yeah. seems like it's a very apt observation. Yeah. No,
1: it's very astute, and I think there's that that weight that so many people feel uh, for so many youth that I know. I, I know they they kind of lived off of summer camps, summer camp spirituality, where everything feels so spiritual, and then you get home. And there's this felt absence of God. It's almost like I left God up on the mountain, but when I'm trying to just live my life and deal with the pressures of adulthood, it's like, man, so many people struggle. Um, Zahn goes on, uh, he writes this, something has been lost. And in the Western world, Christianity is in decline. Most denominations are losing membership. And the fastest growing religious category in America is actually the nuns, which just means people who identify with no religion. They're just... They, they are not religious. For believers who in their anxiety and frustration recklessly frame this phenomena in culture war terms, this has produced considerable consternation, but their culture war induced rage only adds fuel to the fire of post-Christian attitudes. And then I love this line. This is the line that just, I was like, we got to talk about this. He says, being angry with modern people for losing their faith is like being angry with medieval people for dying of the plague. Dude, that that line,
0: it's so good. And it's, it's just so true. That is a great way to phrase it because it does a couple things. The first thing that it immediately does is it reframes people losing faith from being seen as enemies mm. to being seen as for lack of a better term victims mm. people who are encountering something that is harming them mm. as opposed to they have joined with some kind of evil ideology that they now want to attack us or whatever you know the yeah. the culture war framing puts it as we are under attack. Yeah. Whereas when I think about think about hospitals during the the very early days of COVID, the nursing staff and the doctors and everybody that was around didn't view all these sick people as like, oh, they're they're besieging our hospital and we need to try to get rid of them. It, <laughs> instead it was the exact opposite. It's yeah, there are tons of sick people, we need to help them. Yeah. We need to do what we can to Serve their needs and and try to bring them back to health the best way possible and yeah that's what I that's the first shift that kind of happens for me in that phrasing of it's not an enemy to fight it's a wounded person to try to help heal
1: yeah I think we can have that mentality that culture war mentality where in we we view things through the frames of like a classic horror zombie film where it's like, everybody's getting infected and it's like, Oh, they left the faith. Like now they're one of the zombies grab the shotgun, you know, grab the apologetic mm-hmm. shotgun. It's time to destroy their worldview. And and instead we need to view it as there is a sickness. There is a disease. There's a plague going around. We talked about that plague, In our recent series on postmodernism, there is a plague of people dropping this, this idea of there is this immensity of a God out there who loves me and cares about me. And I want to know more about him and discover him and learn about him. And instead it's replaced with just this, this feeling, this weight of where is God? If he even exists, I'm just going to do what's right my own eyes. And, and that is not creating zombies that is creating sick people. And, and what are we, if not the nursing staff pointing people to the great physician, the church is a hospital, we need to get people in. And so I think it all ties into this idea of apathy, this idea of needing to wake up to these realities. And we're going to do a whole series on this. So we're going to dive into different aspects of waking up, um, But for right now, I just just want to address the reality of we can be asleep as Christians. The reason that I'm passionate about fighting like this cozy, comfy, sleepy Christianity is because it can be one of my biggest temptations. It can lead me to stepping away from my calling. I think of Peter after Jesus died and, and, and even after Jesus rose from the dead and Peter was aware of that. He was so overwhelmed with despair and struggling with just his own sin and his own failures that he became apathetic. And instead of stepping up to be the the rock that Jesus called him to be, that the church was built on, he was like, I'm just going to go back to fishing. And there's nothing wrong with fishing. Like, like you can fish as a Christian. That's great. But for Peter, it was a rejecting of his calling. And for for me, I just got to be honest, like in the last four years of trying to do ministry, outside of working at a church, like there's been times where I'm like, I should just go into web design and just do that because my life would be so much easier and I'd have so much more time. And so that that's my struggle, man, is is the temptation to get into apathy. And I think it's something that most people do struggle with.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that modern Western culture pushes us towards in a lot of ways. I think that we have grown up with this idea of the American dream and the question of what is the American dream? It is reaching the point where your life can be cozy and comfy and sleepy, and it's yeah. okay. Right? You know that because you because you is earned the it. Goal you put exactly. in the work. Enjoy it. You've earned it. The goal yeah. is to reach the point where now I get to do nothing, and now I get to kick my feet up, and now I have all I need, and I'm not reliant on anyone, and so now I will just enjoy what I have. Mm. And that is antithetical to what growing with Jesus is. That is yeah. the opposite of the kind of life that he wants us to live. Not to say that he wants us to be poor and to never have enough. That's <laughs> definitely not what I'm trying to say. But growing mm. with Jesus is getting more connected and plugged into his mission, yeah. not less connected. It's so true. I, I think of the,
1: the classic line. I, I'm a big Keith Green fan, as you know one of my favorite songs of his, like I've never heard a musician like Keith Green in in the Christian faith because he actually writes songs that are convicting. I don't know if you ever listened to him, dude, but like he he doesn't just write worship songs. He writes like songs that are intentionally convicting. (laughs) He has one called a sleep in the light. And one of the lines from it, it, it's a song mostly about evangelism, but there's this line I think that applies to the whole situation of apathy where he says the world is sleeping in the dark. And that's like, Christians hear that and you're like, yeah, Yeah, they are those sinners sleeping in the dark. But then the rest of the line is the world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then he follows it up with how can we be so dead when we've been so well fed, which for those of us in Calvary, it's like, dang, like we hear so many sermons Sundays and Wednesdays we've been, we've had so much poured into us. Why is it so easy to slip into complacency where Christianity and following Christ just becomes a, a tiny slice of the pie of our life. And it, it's not the whole pie and everything else is is sliced according to the mission of Jesus and who he is.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing. We've really allowed ourselves to be so kept busy by modern life. Like, I, I'm sure that you feel this where sometimes it feels like your day is a non-stop bouncing from notification to notification.
1: Oh, my gosh! Or from
0: thing you need to do to thing you need to do to thing you need to do to eventually where you're like, you know what? I'm just glad I got through the day and now mm. I get to go back to sleep. You know, I, I'm just glad that I made it through the motions and now I'm fine out the other side. And, and people very, very quickly get into the rhythm of just trying to survive the stuff they need to do. And I say that as someone who very quickly gets into the rhythm of just trying to survive the stuff that I need to do, especially Um, as a dad now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I, I one of the things that I tell people is that one of the things that I'm learning most is if I want to have free time from noon to one, I need to be responsible from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. You know, <laughs> that the timeline just backs up so far to be able to to get those, those little pockets of time. Yeah. Uh, but when it is this kind of nonstop barrage of stuff to handle within my own life and then stuff to think about in the world around us and then a whole digital world that keeps coming to me through my phone or through the things that I seek out, it gets really, really easy to just settle for a going through the motions relationship with Jesus, Mm -hmm. which is so ironic because we immediately feel unfulfilled when we let a going through the motions relationship settle in with our wives or husbands or with our best friends or with our coworkers. Like, in any other relationship, once it gets down to, oh, we'll just get through the motions and just keep moving on. We're never satisfied in those relationships. So, of course, it makes sense that when we get to this apathetic place in our relationship with God, suddenly we start feeling this deep loss and we start feeling this deep dissatisfaction.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's 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 a huge, huge issue. And I think hopefully for you guys listening, hopefully this is helpful that we're talking about this. Like we're not addressing some specific sin. This isn't in the list of 10 commandments. What we're, what we're describing is a condition, a condition that any of us can slip into. And we don't want any of you listening to settle when God has so much more for you. Brian and I don't want each other to settle. Like a part of this conversation is us encouraging one another to not settle for just spiritual apathy. So what we're talking about is the idea of spiritual sleep, the idea of you're a Christian, you're saved, but you're in this weird coma, this weird slumber, where you aren't awake to the realities of God and who he is and his love and his purpose and his mission. And I think the the really scary thing is that a Christian could be asleep and not actually know it. You might be asleep and think, I'm not asleep because a true friend would wake somebody up if there was danger, right? Like we can slip into this place where it's like, you know, my my Christian friends, if there was really something wrong, they would point it out. They would come to me. But I think a lot of times what we don't realize is our friends might be struggling with the same thing. We might be a group of Christians spiritually sleeping, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, we're generally really good at comparing ourselves only to the people immediately around us. And oftentimes, if we're honest, we like to compare ourselves only to the people we think we're slightly better than. Mm. So maybe you're looking at other friends of yours who are even less spiritually active than you are, or at least that's what you believe about them. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not like that. Therefore, I must not be spiritually asleep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it makes me think sometimes of how we act with alarm clocks where I don't know if you've ever had one of those days where you didn't have to get up for something like work, but you wanted to get up like in your mind, you thought I'm going to wake up at this time. And then as you woke up, you just kept hitting the snooze button over and over. I don't know. Based on your personality, I'm not sure
0: if you've done that. Have you done that? Have you done the snooze thing? I have become a pretty heavy snoozer. Since the birth of Nate. Um, (laughs) Yeah, dude. (laughs) My my marriage was always my wife would set an alarm Mm -hmm. and it would go off and I would hear it and she would not. And I would spend 15 (laughs) minutes trying to gently shove her to get it. And now those roles are completely reversed. Mm. Now I'm the one setting the alarm and not hearing it. And it's a weird feeling. I don't I don't like it. I feel mm. like a terrible person when <laughs> I set an alarm for six fifteen and I wake up at seven 45. Mm. I don't know if that's just normal existence for some people. If it is <laughs> like good for you, that's cool. I'm not, right. not saying it's, I'm not saying you're a failure. I'm <laughs> saying when I do it, I feel right. like failure.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we can hear that spiritual alarm going off, but we can just keep hitting snooze. And I feel like for a lot of people, it puts them in that place of feeling like a failure where they know that the spirit's kind of tugging at their heart, but they just keep hitting the snooze button. It's like, I don't want to deal with my sin. I don't want to deal with my need for Christ. I don't want, you know You know what I mean? It's like, it's easier to just hit the snooze button. And and I think sometimes we can have our ears closed. That was one of the things Jesus said over and over again is he who has ears to hear let him hear, and it's interesting. I I had a youth kid in my <laughs> sounds like I'm an old man. I had a youth child. I had <laughs> I had a young person in my youth ministry, and he used to tell me like, Aaron, Pastor Aaron, I just don't get anything from the sermons, which is offensive to a preacher. But uh, I was trying to be graceful, you know. I was like, Hey man, just keep listening, and eventually you'll get something. But then I discovered that he was sitting in the back with his hoodie up and his earphones in during almost every single one of my sermons and he was just listening to music. And it's like, well, yeah, man, your ears are closed. You're literally not listening to what I'm trying to say and what God's trying to say through me when I preach. You're you're literally, you have chosen to close your ears and not be open to hearing what God would say to you. And I feel like a lot of us reach that point subtly and almost unexpectedly, we get to that point where it's like, we're just not open. We don't have ears to hear.
0: Now that I think is a really important distinction to make because I wouldn't say, and I, I think what you're trying to avoid, we're not trying to say that spiritual sleep is any time your relationship with Jesus feels slightly less vibrant. Mm. Because there will be moments where Bible reading at times will feel more like a chore than mm. will feel like this alive, active, oh my goodness, Jesus is bursting out of every page kind of a thing. Hmm. There will be times where you will pray out of a feeling of this is a good habit for me to stay in, not this is bursting with life and I sense the spirit in every word I say and all that. Hmm. That's a totally different thing, I think, than what we're talking about here. This spiritual sleep is a lulling yourself away from even the possibility of hearing. You know, you distracting yourself to the point where you don't want to hear in that same way, or you want hearing to be this thing that's kind of done for you, as opposed to something that you're an active participant in. Is that a fair assessment of what you're trying to say, Aaron?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that I think is, it's it's so it's so easy. And I don't think we start out that way a lot of times. I feel like a lot of us start out Loving the Lord and wanting to listen to Him and wanting to follow Him. But it becomes so easy to just start tuning him out. I, I was thinking as you were as you were talking, I was reminded of another Keith Green song. I think this is the second one in this episode. But, man, like I said, Keith writes these songs that are convicting. Like, as a young Christian, I've been so convicted by Keith, but conviction is good, right? It's 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 good to wake up to the reality that you might be sleeping through a house fire. And Keith, this is written in like the 80s, so there's no smartphones, but listen to the lyrics. He says, your word sits there upon my desk, but you love your books and magazines the best. You prefer the light of your TV. You love the world and you're avoiding me. And I just, I hear that and I am convicted because there literally have been times where I feel like, God, as as my, as a couple of things, as my master, as my friend, as my Lord, my savior, my king is like, Hey, come spend some time with me because I have things I want to share with you. I love you. <laughs> I want to be with you. I just like you want to hang out with your wife. Just like you want to spend time with your son. Just as one day as a father, I'm going to want my son Jack to hang out with me and spend time with me. Not because I'm some domineering, controlling dad that wants to control his schedule. It's because I literally love him and I just want to be with him, whether we're playing video games or throwing around a football, like I talked about last episode, right? Whatever he wants to do, like, I just want to spend time with him. And and yet it is so easy to put God off and to not spend time with him, which is, it's, it's really crazy considering how much he loves us. And that's something we're going to get into in the next episode is waking up to the reality of how much God loves, loves us. But I don't know. What What do you think
0: about this this easiness of how easy it is for us to fall into a state of apathy? I think I can track falling into this state of apathy with a natural progression towards more life responsibility. Hmm, yeah. When I think about myself and when I think about the friends that I grew up with in church, Jesus was first real to us for the most part At some point in youth group, you know, we Mm. grew up as good youth group kids. And so summer was when you literally had nothing to do. You could do whatever you wanted. You could attend youth group events. You could go hang out with friends in your neighborhood. Mm. You had hours and hours to waste, which still left plenty of time on the side to be able to connect with Jesus. It was really, really easy because you had nothing else that was getting in the way. And then you get to college. And your schedule gets a little bit busier and likely you're juggling school and work potentially for the first time. And then you get out of college and now you have a full time job Mm, and now you're trying to move out. And now there are bills to pay. And Mm. now a romantic relationship may take up more space in your life. And then Mm. eventually you reach the point where now you've got kids or now you've got a house or now you've got all of these different things. And these were things that never competed for time with Jesus when you first were getting to know him. Mm. And now there are all of these responsibilities that are good responsibilities that Mm. leave you a little tired and that make it harder to muster the energy to Mm. spend time with Jesus. And especially, I think all of these things feel so necessary. Mm. Like at my full time job, there are tasks that feel extremely necessary because they Mm. are. There are things I actually genuinely need to get done. There's stuff around the house that feels so necessary. If I don't do it, I will feel the consequences of it. There's stuff in my marriage and with my son that are so necessary. Like a, a diaper change can't wait two days. That's <laughs> exactly I, I've gotta, where my brain went. Like, yeah, you, you, you got to get wait. in there now. Mm-hmm. You got to get in there now or you're going to you're going to feel it. You're going to know that something has gone wrong. <laughs> but you don't read your Bible for a day and you're kind of just fine. And you miss church one Sunday. I've got enough
1: accumulated head knowledge of the scriptures. Like, I can miss a day. yeah.
0: And what I'm not trying to say is if you miss a day, you're going to hell tomorrow. That's definitely not what I'm trying to say. God is extremely gracious. I think Jesus is aware of our responsibilities and has no problem with most Mm -hmm. of them. I would Mm -hmm. go as far to say. True responsibilities. I think God has no problem with the fact that you've got a full-time job and a significant other, and a family, or, or whatever it is that you've got going on. Or and school, it's not, college. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Any of those responsibilities, I think Jesus is perfectly fine with. Hmm. But it's kind of like how an unhealthy diet won't kill you by the weekend, hmm. but will slowly contribute to your undoing. It will hmm. slowly diminish your state of health. And the same thing begins happening to us spiritually. As other things begin to creep in the way, instead of feasting on what spiritually nourishes us, we start turning to spiritual fast food. Mm. We want something that will numb the noise in in our souls. So we turn to Twitter. We yeah. want something that will give us a, a quick hit of dopamine. So we turn to sports or we turn to you know anything other than... The sitting and waiting on God and wrestling with, I want to hear his voice. And that slowly becomes our undoing to the point where like how a person can eat themselves to the point where they become diabetic. They're now no longer receiving nutrients the way they need it. We can get ourselves to that kind of state spiritually where it actually becomes harder to receive that spiritual nutrition.
1: Yeah, no, what you're saying makes perfect sense. It makes me think of, did you ever use that illustration when you were a youth pastor of you'd be talking to kids and you'd say something along the lines of, you guys are treating Jesus like he's just a slice of the pie of your life when really Jesus needs to be the whole pie. Did you ever say that?
0: Anytime I can compare spiritual things to pie, I do so. (laughs) So yes, I have used that illustration.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a classic youth ministry standard, but I feel like my fear in that is, were we communicating to our kids this idea of all the other stuff in your life is stupid and doesn't matter. And Jesus just needs to be your entire life. And did they translate that to like, I need to go to a church service every night of the week. I need to fill my time with spiritual things. I need to read my Bible every day for an hour. And if I don't, I suck as a Christian. Is that the message that we were conveying? Because that's not, that wasn't my heart when I said those things. But I wish I would have elaborated a little bit more and I would have made the distinction of, yes, Jesus is the, the, he is the pie, but all of those other things are slices, but it's contextualized. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not Jesus is one slice of the pie. He is your life, but you also have a job and you also have a wife and you also have Parents that you're responsible to and, and just things in your life, responsibilities and even and things that you enjoy, pleasure and, and entertainment and like, like there's, your life is filled up of so many different things. I don't think we should just treat Jesus as a little slice. He should be our life. But all of those other things can fit into a life
0: with Christ if it's contextualized the right way. Does that does that make sense? Is that a better reframing? I would go as far as to say the problem with the analogy is by making Jesus pie at all, he is, it's a great, it's a great sentence. By making Jesus pie at all, we're framing him as something you need to accomplish so that you can move on from it.
1: Mm.
0: You know, my school of responsibilities, I never was just going to be like, what if my whole life was math? Like I was never going to do that. I never wanted that. Math was something I needed to complete so that I could be done with it. And so that I could move on to the other more fun stuff. Maybe if we want to stick with cheesy analogies, (laughs) it might be better to say your life is the pie and Jesus wants to share every slice with you. Mm.
1: Jesus isn't
0: a task you need to accomplish, but when you're doing schoolwork, Jesus wants to be with you in your schoolwork. When you're with your friends, Jesus wants to share in your friendships with you. Jesus wants to be part of each of these things in life. And each of these things are important. They need to take up time, Mm. but they don't take up time at the exclusion of Jesus. Yes. It's about things you do with Jesus.
1: Yes. He's there. He's with us. He's present at our boring day jobs or the most boring elements of our day job. And that's so easy to forget, but that's something I continually need to wake up two i'm trying to practice this thing called the daily office which is a thing that monks used to do christian monks but basically i'm not as hardcore as some but basically it's you, you pick a certain time of the day and you try to be faithful to at that time no matter what you're doing kind of drop everything and just take like a 10 to 20 minute break and spend some time with the lord and just pray about what's going on in your life you know, take a walk in your neighborhood and just connect with Christ. And I I'm, I don't do it every day. I, I drop the ball sometimes. But for me, it's been a good practice to just recenter myself and remember Christ is he's with me. And, and for those of you guys listening, like if, if you guys are just like Aaron, Brian, everything you're talking about seems so simplistic. It is, but it's important. Like we are we're passionate about fighting apathy and just encouraging you listeners to wake up to the dangers of apathy because we've experienced it. We know how dangerous it is to our spiritual life and 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 we're trying to help form people that understand that life is about our relationship with God. It's about like that is why we were created. We were created by a God who was so full of love that he wasn't willing to not have a family. And so he created humans to be his family. And this is honestly my goal, and it, it has been my goal as a youth pastor and now continuing on in ministry, I want to help form people that have such a great relationship with God that if they got marooned on a desert island and there was no other people, they didn't have a Bible, they didn't have a church to go to, they would still have a thriving relationship with God and a thriving expression of what it means to be a Christ follower even if they spent the rest of their life on that desert island. And it was just them and God. And that might sound crazy to some of you guys listening because you are so used to your Christian experience being related to service, missions work, youth ministry, college ministry, mu- music, emotionally manipulative music, which is great. Worship music is great. I love worship music. I there's, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a negative thing to have your emotions manipulated. Everything manipulates your emotions. Like we, we have emotions and things affect them. But what I'm saying is God is calling us to a deep relationship with him. And we so often forget that that's the whole point of everything.
0: I think what you're hitting on is so important because what it really comes down to is redefining what Christian success is all about. hmm For a lot of us, Christian success is I attend my church on Sunday, I serve in some particular ministry, Mm. I make it to a home group, and success is these things that we do, Mm. whereas we never define success in a marriage as I take the trash out all the time, and I mow the lawn for her, and I do X, Y, Z. It's always about a depth of relational intimacy. And that is what I think we're trying to recapture. What Jesus is after with us is not a bunch of things we do. What Jesus is after is a depth of relational intimacy. Absolutely. And, you know,
1: we're talking about, we're talking about being asleep. And just one more cheesy analogy for you. Sleepwalking is a thing, right? Like people sleepwalk and it looks like they're awake, we're, we're calling people to wake up, but also to realize that you could be walking around. You don't have to be lying in a bed with your eyes closed to be asleep. You could actually be functioning and appear to be functioning to the outside as a Christian, but actually you're sleepwalking. And this is actually very common. I don't, I don't know about you, but in my time in ministry, like I've talked to people who are worship leaders, youth pastors who are just like, bro, I just got up and played a worship set and I actually feel nothing inside. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's a harsh reality that even people in like full time ministry can go through the motions and sleepwalk in the relationship with Christ. Sleepwalking in our faith it, it is so it is so common. I would even say there's been times where I have struggled with that, where I was in ministry not long periods of time, but there were periods of time where man I was just so burnt out and just like I feel nothing. I feel disconnected from the Lord. I'm running on fumes. And this sleepiness, this apathy can so easily lead us to a dark place. I, I, I love this quote from William Booth. He says, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. And man, that just, that captures to me like the fruit of
0: spiritual apathy. I think it kind of hits the reasons for spiritual apathy. Mm. You know, I, th- I think about the moments where I have been most lulled to sleep. Mm. It's been where my service was religion that had nothing to do with the spirit's influence. Just stuff I felt like I was supposed to do where my spiritual habits were Christianity, but there was no time for Christ to truly be part of them. You know, I I think that what he's driving at kind of hits at sort of a vicious cycle of these can be the things that result from spiritual sleep. But if we're not careful to make sure that everything is done with purpose, those things will also contribute to spiritual sleep. Absolutely.
1: As we're wrapping up this episode, I think what we want to close with is we both feel like one of the biggest causes of spiritual apathy. Before we get into other things, like waking up to the love of Christ, waking up to holiness, waking up to the mission of God, we need to remind people to wake up to the story. Because if you don't know what the story is, or if you've heard it so much that you just have lost the wonder of it, you end up feeling disconnected to it. You feel like Christianity is just a family religion, something you grew up with, something your parents and your grandparents practiced, but it doesn't have any actual practical connection to your day to day. And I truly feel that the story of God is the most incredible story in the world. It is the story that all of our great stories are based on. All of our stories about good and evil with Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or whatever, they f- they draw their inspiration from the great story about good and evil and love.
0: It is literally the story that we are built for. And it is a story that begins with a loving God who longs for relationship. For all of our conceptions of God today, for all of the things said about him, before anything began, before anything was created, there was a God who was so loving, he craved avenues to express that love in more ways
1: we believe that this story is immensely important to recapture the reality that this is our story it's his story it's the story of the family of god and so we're going to take some time as we close to explore that story with you all
0: the story begins with god himself for all of our conceptions and preconceived notions of him today It all begins with a God who is so loving, so generous, so gracious that what he really wanted were more avenues to display that love and grace and generosity. The God we serve and the God we see in the Bible is a God who is longing for relationship. And what he wants to do is create a community where his love can be perfectly displayed, where his relationship can be perfectly felt and where he can make all things right for anyone within his love. Yes, he's a God that is so full of love that he develops
1: this plan to create a family, to create humans. But then something goes horribly wrong and we don't know the specifics because this is literally the lore of humanity it's stuff that happened before we existed but at some point there was this war in heaven there were those among God spiritual beings who did not like God's love they did not like God's plan they did not like the way that God wanted to show his love and create humans and there was a rebellion a prideful rebellion by spiritual beings that we know of as fallen angels, demons, who rose up to say, we can do it better than God. And there's this war in heaven, this incredible battle between good and evil that ends with God casting the dark forces out of that heavenly space. And what happens is now you have these demonic beings that are forever pledged to fight against God and try to destroy and tear apart his human family.
0: Despite all this, God's plan continues to go forward. He continues with the creation of the world that we see, the universe that we live in, all of the beauty and majesty that we see around us, and ultimately the creation of mankind. People that are created in the image and likeness of God, designed for meaningful, intimate, close relationship with God. God's desire in the creation of humanity all the way through to our time today, is close-knit relationship. God wanted to walk through life with Adam and Eve and all of their children forevermore. But as we know,
1: the spiritual beings, the dark demonic forces, attack the first humans, Adam and Eve. Trick them into betraying God. And not only that, but opening up Pandora's box and unleashing the virus and the disease of sin and death onto not only the humans, but the earth that God created for them. And what we see in that moment of the story is the kingdom of God looks lost. God had built this kingdom for His children to live in and to rule and reign with him but now sin has poisoned humanity to the point where they can no longer even be around God and so God it looks like his family is going to be lost But then what we see right there in the early chapters of Genesis is right from the beginning, God says, I am not willing to live without my family. I'm going to come up with a plan to rescue and redeem them. And he tells of this plan where one day he will send a snake crusher. The demonic forces took the appearance of a snake in the garden to trick Adam and Eve. And God promises that one day he will crush the evil snake and win his family back.
0: And God decides he won't do this exclusively on his own. He wants to work through humanity. He wants this to be a family business, so to speak. The redemption of humanity won't be something that God does completely separate from humans. It's something He wants to include humans in, and so He creates the nation of Israel. He begins to call out certain people and proclaims that through these people, God's work will happen, and God's work will change the world in such a way that it will undo the effects of this brokenness, and it will lead us back to the state that we were always intended for. Perfect, undivided relationship with God. But all throughout the story of the Old Testament, what we see is
1: Israel is constantly under attack by the dark demonic forces. They want to destroy humanity, and so they send Israel, human armies under their influence to try to attack Israel. They trick Israel into worshiping other gods. They lead Israel into sin and they bring that disease and corruption into themselves by their
0: horrible choices. And despite all that, God continued to protect the nation of Israel. He continued to keep his people safe from demonic attack. Even though when you look through the Old Testament, it's a continuous story of ways we think the kingdom will be restored, but it doesn't wind up working. We get a section of history where judges rise up and they purify Israel for a moment, but it doesn't lead to the perfect kingdom. And then we see kings come along, and we think certainly one of these will restore the kingdom perfectly, and all of them fail in some way. And then we see the prophets who bring about moral restoration and spiritual revival from time to time, and yet none of them can perfectly bring about the kingdom that God was looking for.
1: Now, at this point in the story, some of you guys might be checking out because this just sounds like an Old Testament lesson. But listen, this is not just the story of Israel's history. This is your story. This is the story of the family of God. Remember, there was this separation in the beginning between God and humans, and God wants to win his family back. All of these things happen in the Old Testament because they are leading up to God's master plan, which is Jesus, God becoming man. This baby born to an Israeli Hebrew family is the savior of the world, the one who was born to save people past, future, and present. God's family is put back together by God becoming man. And Jesus lives this life. God in the flesh lives this life where he points people to God. He shows them how to find God. He heals them, not only of their physical sicknesses, but of the disease of sin that is corrupting them from the inside. He teaches them how to live. He teaches them how to love. And he builds a bridge between God and man that people can cross
0: over by becoming a part of this new kingdom. And for all of the life and healing Jesus offers, he's opposed, he's ridiculed, he's mocked, and ultimately he's killed. Sin had one final thing it could try to do. As it thwarted the attempts of the judges, as it undid the best intentions of the kings, sin tries its hardest to undo the work of Jesus. And Jesus is opposed, he's crucified, and for a brief moment, it looks like God's plan is entirely undone, and it looks like God's kingdom is defeated once and for all. But that death that Jesus went through on the cross
1: was actually all a part of the plan of God. The plan to crush the serpent, the demonic forces, was brought to fruition in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus comes, he lives this perfect life, he dies, but then he rises again. And in doing so in some crazy, metaphysical, spiritual, cosmic way, he defeats both sin and death. And what Jesus does is he says, as he rises from the dead, I am rising as the firstborn son of the new creation. There is a new kingdom. God's kingdom is being brought back. And now for all who are a part of this kingdom, you are offered forgiveness of sins. Death will not be the end for you. You are offered the promise of eternal life and the promise of a new heaven and a new earth where all sin all injustice, all evil, all wickedness, all disease, all death will be removed. There, there is so much hope
0: being offered to the family of God. And just as Jesus went from death to life, Jesus calls us now to do the same. Mm-hmm. He calls us out of death, out of worldly systems, out of demonic influence, to follow his path, a path that brings us out of evil and trains us to be like him. He calls us to be disciples. Dedicated learners to his way of life, to his system of viewing the world, not just so that we can imitate what he did, but so that we can enjoy life with him to the full. Yes, he gives his followers this
1: mission. He says, not hey, go to church, not hey, read your Bible every day and therefore I will love you. He says, no, I love you, I have rescued you, I have saved you, and now there is a mission. Remember that war between good and evil, between the dark demonic forces and the God who is love? That is still continuing. And now for those who follow me, the part of the mission, the part where you come into the story is you are called to be sent out as missionaries into the world to spread the gospel and to train people in the way of Jesus, to be disciples, to be followers of Christ and to not just hear what he says, but actually listen and do the things that he says
0: and this isn't a task he leaves us to do on our own we looked at the old testament and it's a story of people trying to bring about god's kingdom and never succeeding us on our own we would have the same results but now god leaves his spirit with us we are empowered by god himself to bring this mission to fulfillment We're not left to guess as to how he wants us to do it or to try to become capable on our own. Instead, the new life that he gives enables us to be agents of change, agents of his kingdom and ambassadors calling people to reconciliation, empowered by the spirit of God living in us.
1: Yes, through all of this, we see this epic story where God is getting his family back. He's rebuilding his kingdom, and he's defeating evil once and for all. As humans, we look at this world full of violence, hatred, racism, murder, corruption, greed, sexual abuse, all of these things. Every human being looks at the world and sees the corruption, and their heart is broken. And yet, we miss out if we don't wake up to the story. The story is God is defeating these evils. He's rebuilding his kingdom.
0: And this is what he calls us to be part of. He doesn't call us to be part of a community group that meets weekly. He doesn't call us to make sure that bulletins get handed out or that worship music gets played or that somebody says something during a church service. What he wants us to do is help get his family back. What he wants us to do is help build his kingdom. What he wants us to remember is he has been spending thousands of years writing this story so that we could be part of it. This is what we're called into. This is something that makes apathy a lot harder.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on iTunes. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find us. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on iTunes and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question and you want us to talk about it on the show, send it to our email address, which is at gmail.com. Send us a question. We'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network, and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.